Welcome to the Creative Curmudgeon, where the intellectual elite discuss creativity and other important matters. Today, we will be talking to the Fresno, California based musician Amber Fargano. Amber is the leader of the queer core punk band Fatty Cakes and the Puff Pastries. Their angry yet joyful sound is reminiscent of groups such as the B 52s, La Tigra, Bratmobile, and X Ray Specs. I first became aware of them nine years ago after being booked on a show with them while I was on tour and playing in Fresno. Since then, they've put out a fantastic album that was produced by Alice Bag and have played festivals with artists like Bikini Kill, Kim Gordon, and Hunks and His Punks. I was delighted when Amber agreed to take time out of their busy schedule to say words with me, and I hope our conversation delights you as well. Like you were saying that you were making art that was like specifically just for like you to see like is that like generally like the main point of just like music as well or like how much of like what you make is because like it's just like for you versus like other people I think that difference can honestly be seen in the like new music that we've been writing and hopefully in this next year we'll be releasing like a single or two and recording the album finally because it's almost on its way it's been a long time 2020 really you know put a hitch in things so our last album was 2018 and i would say that album was like a mixture of both because i started the project like both for myself as like a piece of fat liberation i had some close friends who were very fat phobic at the time and so I wanted, and Fresno just struggles with fat phobia and homophobia. And so I just wanted to like create a project in which both I would celebrate myself, but also to be perceived by others and to hopefully like open up some ideas and change some minds and even like make my friends who I knew were queer and fat feel safer too. And then I would say the the album, the full self-titled was like a community piece, you know, cause that's when it, I had all the bandmates and I felt like we were writing things that were affecting us as a group that was affecting us as individuals that we were seeing happen in our community that we wanted to speak out against on. And so it was kind of like more of this, yeah, like community piece, but then this new album, I would say, I think also once again, cause 2020 did affect things. And so it was a lot of like, time and isolation a lot of self-reflection and the new music is definitely be being written from a more personal experience but it still has like commentary on like being a marginalized person you know it still has commentary on you know living life in this world um but i would definitely say this round it has been a bit more like I don't know i mean old fatty cakes was therapeutic in a different way it was like me being like rah rah and fat fuck y'all and now it's a bit more like um me crying 
<laughs> about my All right, cats then. and like <laughs> being gay and in love and stuff. Um, and I think that's still relatable. I think people in the community will still relate to it. Um, but yeah, I would say this round it has become a bit more about like recentering myself a little in the music too, recentering all of us in the band a little bit and like why are we creating music and ultimately like at the end of this year as I'm looking back I'm we've done a lot of really cool things but I'm I'm trying to you know we're we've really been pushing ourselves and I'm trying to remember like you know the reason why I play music is because I like playing music it's because like Mm -hmm. the safest the safest space I know is in action in a song like when I'm playing a song that is has been the most consistent space for me of safety and so kind of returning to that idea yeah and it uh i could i could see how doing stuff that's like more directly personal like would absolutely like fit in with like what you've been doing how that's still like a political sort of experience just like yeah how just like dealing with yourself and like then that going outward like that totally makes sense yeah totally um what's got you into playing music in the first place i i've always came kind of from like a musical family like my dad um is a guitarist we don't speak i don't like him as a person but uh, <laughs> but he's I've, a very I've had several i had several friends that were that, that have had that same sort of like you know like yeah. My my dad's an absent asshole, but he does play the guitar really well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My dad actually plays heavy metal guitar. Uh, his last name is Kelly, and they used to call him Machine Gun Kelly because he can. Before the MGK that exists now, he's the original because um, he plays very fast. And so, <laughs> like his favorite band is Slipknot <laughs> and Lamb of God, though I don't know. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I, when you said metal, I was thinking like Merciful Fate and Slayer, but like you're talking about like you're talking yeah. about like more new metal. New metal, stuff. new metal. I mean, he used to listen to a lot of Metallica when I was young, like little. Um, but it did morph, and he did more of the '80s hair metal, I would say. But it did morph into like more of a new metal kind of space, or even like Christian new metal, I guess. I think that's Lamb of God, right? And so, oh my God. <laughs> It's so insane. I mean, I love me. I mean, I love corn and system of a down. So it's not the apple doesn't fall from the, far from the tree in that way. But um, yeah. And then my mom just loved music, like loves music. My middle name's Christine after the Susie and the Banshee song, Christine, the strawberry girl. And so awesome. um, yeah, she would like put like the headphones. She would play Enya like on her stomach when she was pregnant with me and stuff. And so Music was always just something that, like, my mom played music all the time. MTV was always on, and it was in the 90s, so it was still music videos, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, the records, tapes, like, the radio, it was just always on music. So, it's just, is a, it's just, I was just, was like, music was just a part of my youth, my life. I, uh, I, I think Corn definitely has, like, I was super into Corn and System of a Down as, as a youngster as well, and I think that they both, like it's not what I listen to now, but like I I, res- I respect it musically and also just like from a cathartic perspective with like corn, you know, making yeah making outcast kids feel less alone or whatever. I feel like that's really commendable. I recently watched like a friggin' Netflix Woodstock '99 documentary I that watch came out. That still, where like 
you know, when I was like really young, like I was into Limp Biscuit for like literally like a couple of months because of their association with corn. And then immediately afterwards, like, this is no wait, this is like, there's nothing redeemable about this. And then like rewatching the, or rewatching the footage from Woodstock 99. It's like, yeah, no, this is, there's like no way to defend this particular band, but corn's cool. <laughs> you know, I will say though, break stuff is a bop. Break stuff is a big, I actually will go to bat for Fred Durst. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> okay. We well, let's debate. We can debate on this. <laughs> I want, I want to hear your case. Defend Fred okay. Durst to me. So here's the thing with Fred Durst. I know that he gets like, I feel like he gets aligned with like kind of douchey guys a lot and tools, but actually Fred Durst, like he has that whole lyric where it's like, Hey ladies, Hey fellas for the people that don't give a fuck non-binary people. I just think Fred Durst is more of an ally than we realize. And I don't know. I like the rage that he taps into and he's kind of funny, but yeah, I can get down with the lippy biscuit. I can't okay. lie, but right. I understand. And I, I respect those who can't. I respect you, Jason. I respect it. I I understand that it's for a lot of people. It's not redeemable. Or like, I know someone who really dislikes Fred Durst because just certain guys that she went to high school with really liked Limp Biscuit, and they were not nice guys. Yeah, and my so, bullies were all Limp Biscuit fans, so I think exactly. that's part of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know what? I have a friend who has like a whole like I can't even defend it because I don't even have the research that this friend has. My friend Pina they're like this amazing tattoo artist in the Bay area. They um, have a whole thing about how they think Fred Durst is actually maybe even like not even just gay ally, but might be like in the closet. I don't know. It's a, I'm not trying to put Fred on blast, um, but I really loved their like thought process behind it. And I mean, Fred Durst did not like Trump. That helps a little bit, you know? Okay. <laughs> so, so his politics aren't that bad. Um, so you know, maybe it's it's time for us to relook at Fred. <laughs> what is your creative routine like when you are making stuff? Oh, well, it just depends on what I'm making. I mean, if it's a song with the band, there's like a few ways we go about things. I think the most consistent, like the most common way we write a song is just by jamming. It usually starts with like Bashina doing a bass line, Audrey jumping on it, me jumping on it. And then we start to canoodle some things and then Stacy and Crow will join in. And so um, it's a lot of like jamming um, sometimes with like, I have written songs like with my mouth before girl gang. I like wrote in the bathtub um, and like just sang it into my microphone Um I have pre-written stuff as well at home. And that just starts with either I'm jamming around and I, I'm playing, I'm trying to like try out a new chord or I'm just trying to play with like a new pattern of sounds or I have an idea of like lyrics that I want to try to apply to something. And, you know, the lyric ideas, I'll have things in my head where I'm like, I definitely want to write a song about this moment or about this idea. When it comes to like aesthetic art, um, that one, I, you know, I just try to sketch stuff out a lot. Um, I wouldn't say like, I know I have some friends and I really admire them as artists because they do a lot of like research and stuff too, and read a lot about the things that they create and do a lot of preparing. And I really respect that. I really respect artists who like keep drawing journals all the time and stuff. I have a couple of friends who do that and I just think it's like admirable and I've done it before, but I, 
I kind of like, I, I always get lost in those kind of things. And so it just comes down to like, kind of like creating in the, it's either creating in the moment because I feel inspired or like pushing myself to create. Cause I'm like, no, you, you feel better. You feel more regulated when you're creating something. So get back, get out of bed and, and get back on the, the horse, I guess. So I'm sorry, you said that you write lyrics usually after the music or um, simultaneously? Both. Yeah, both hands. It's either something I maybe I'll think of certain lines or certain ideas ahead of time. And then when I feel when we're jamming, I'll feel it out and be like, oh, maybe I can try to apply that line or idea to this. And then it'll build from there. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say I've really written many lyrics without music in the sense of like a whole song like I'll have a sentence in my I, mind that I'm like I want to use that as a lyric and then build a song around this idea and around this lyric um but for the most part it's usually the music that starts it for me it, it's not so much like a you sit down and you like try to think of stuff it's more so like you just kind of like are going about life and then just like stuff will just kind of like happen and then you think oh I gotta like keep that yeah. in mind for later like that sort of thing yeah sometimes I I've written a couple songs where I'm like really trying to put that idea into play but yeah I do a lot of like in the moment writing with the music I used to do improv in high school and so I feel like that's kind of how my brain works like comedy I improv yeah. yeah. I don't know if there's another kind. I guess I guess yeah. there's like jamming or whatever, but like, yeah. okay. No, like theater. Like I was I was definitely a theater kid in high school. And so I um I was on the improv team and but that has affected the way that I make music and the way that I write lyrics because it's just like that's just how my brain has kind of developed to like think of things in that way is more on the fly versus like predetermining a lot of the lyrical base um it it happens more in the moment you think it you think it's like better that way if it's just kind of like because of your like background with that as a like like having stuff just kind of play off of other people like in the moment sometimes yeah i think it is like it it it's even just like because when i'm playing music with the band um there is like a, it's like a chemical reaction. It feels like a lot of, it's just a big old serotonin dump. And so I think it's like, yeah, what is vibing in that moment? And, so, and I still usually have to sit down after the song and then like really like plan it out and like have it recorded on my phone and listen and, and, and like form it. But a lot of the beginnings of the song is a lot of just like improving words, seeing what plays well together what kind of ideas and usually it's not you know I'm not usually singing a whole song in that moment but there will be three or four lyrical components that really stick and I'm like okay I want to use that for a chorus or I want to use that in a verse etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. um do you generally have like go-to like studio like tricks like you know adding effects to like adding this particular effect to the vocals or like this sort of like mixing trick or whatever? Um, I am super uneducated in the recording piece. Like when we are in practice, literally we're just putting it on our phones so that we can listen to it later. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to get more knowledgeable in the language and in the tools around that just because 
like recently we recorded like our demo with Janelle, who is Audrey's partner and is also an amazing bassist in Squid Ink um, and in other bands. Um, and Janelle was asking me like all these like really important questions where I just was like, huh, I've never really thought about that piece of my music. It's I've just done so much live for so much so long that the studio piece is always like it's a little I definitely get like nervous in that part because it's like you're trying to like contain it a bit more you're trying to be perfect you want it to sound a certain way while with shows it's just very much like well whatever the fucking PA sounds like like <laughs> mm-hmm. I accept this you know if it's at a if it's at like a, a venue venue then I can be a little bit more like yes a little reverb here this up this down but if you're playing a house show which is like my background it's just like thank god there's enough microphones <laughs> right no absolutely yeah. <laughs> there's a so pa that, here that's great yeah thank god yeah. i didn't have to like ask around for one and like try to figure this out like that is the fine it's fine you know i don't give a fuck um so that piece still is like a big learning area for me for sure and just kind of like what Janelle had asked, which I actually really appreciated, was like, well, can you give me examples of bands, like send me their music and if you liked the way it was mixed, like we could try to like go for like a similar mixing kind of style. And I was like, oh, I was so stumped though. So I still think I have to kind of research that area for myself. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm still learning in that area. Do, do you often, like in, in studio recordings, you guys often uh, record live? The self-titled album we did, like, Audrey and Vashina recorded together. I recorded both my vocals and uke by myself. And we recorded all the little extra instruments by themselves and all the vocals by themselves. So um, in that case, no. Um, I'm trying to think about in, like, old older ones where we were like recording in someone's living room i think it was like mixed bag recently when we did the demos with janelle we did it separate and then we recorded again with janelle live for um our tiny desk audition and you could tell the difference in um our energy and so i do like the live recording i think a bit more if you're doing more of an at-home kind of job just because it's like you could feel our emotions a bit more while the first time we recorded it and the music was also new. There's, I think a little bit more of like a, like a pulling back or a stiffness just because it's like, we're trying to get it like perfect while mm-hmm. when you're doing live, you're trying to get it perfect, but you're like feeling it with everyone still. Sure. So I do love a live recording, but when we, when we did the studio with Alice bag and um, at, at, I think it's station house in echo park. That was, I mean, that was just a whole other experience. That was really fun too. Although extremely, I was very anxious the whole time, but we got through it. Yeah. It was intense. It was just like the first time being in like a studio like that. And so um, it was like scary and exciting. I definitely cried after. Um, So yeah, I would say both have their, their merits for sure. Is there a, uh, I, I'm I'm not familiar other than like in the folk punk punk sense of there being really a presence of of ukulele in the kind of music that like you you do. Um, yeah. Is there like is, are are there any like ukuleleists in particular that you are inspired by? Um, I wouldn't no, because I, I just honestly like the reason why I've leaned 
because I used to play ukulele a long time when I was like a teenager, you know, it's just like some, you know, an instrument where you're like, well, that's, I want to try that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't know how to play guitar. My dad had bought me one, but like never taught me. And so (laughs) I said he would. And so, um, yeah, I got a ukulele for like Christmas when I was 18. I was like, I really want one. Mm -hmm. And then I just learned it. And then I like left it behind for a while. And I had used it in more folk projects. Um, but when I brought it back, I really wanted it to be like an electric guitar, but I don't know how to play guitar. And so I was like, well, I'm going to try to get an electric. And I, I went through many variations of ukulele until I found the one that I really love, which is like a tenor ukulele with steel strings. So it sounds like a guitar. It has pickups like a guitar, an electric guitar. Um, and a tenor is a bit more sweeter sounding. The reality for me is, is it's just like four strings is easier to play. And I have like weirdly small hands for my body ratio. So it's really hard to stretch across a six string fret. So that's mm-hmm. how I just have like come to play ukulele. I really look to guitarists still to be like, okay, how can I, like, if there's certain like type of skills i'll watch videos and then be like okay how can i apply this to ukulele or you know i'll watch different videos there's amazing ukuleleists out there but i wouldn't say the instrument itself is what inspired me to play it it's just a certain type of sound and like um a bit more of a different like ease there's definitely still hard parts about ukulele but the four strings was definitely appealing yeah yeah you, you yeah. try you try to if I'm understanding correctly, like you kind of try to take like guitar strumming sort of styles from like for like rock music or whatever, but then just kind of like do that on the ukulele. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I use like um, I use a big muff pedal and I do a lot of distortion and stuff. So people never a lot of people don't even know it's ukulele when they see it. They're always like, whoa, what a tiny guitar. Or a lot of times it's like, I love your tiny bass. And I'm like, it's not, but thank you. <laughs> and then I tell them it's ukulele and they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah. So. <laughs> um, one thing, there's a, there's a lot of things when I think back to when I would like, you know, play shows and try to tour and whatnot that I ju- that just fill me with just like embarrassment and dread. And one- <laughs> one of those things is trying to like network in any sort of way and it being like this really tricky thing because like i feel like if you're especially if you're like a you know diy person or whatever if you want to like share your stuff with people like you have to like you know quote unquote self-promote or whatever and it's always it's always felt like really sleazy and even when it's like in the midst of like a genuine conversation but if something is like thrown in that's in like the networking vein then i just feel like man this person's like nobody likes this this person's gonna think i'm full of shit um tell me about your experience with this i would say i have a mixed bag on it like i definitely do it for sure i definitely have done it um i've had mixed (laughs) mixed bag um on like reactions to receiving me doing it sometimes i do feel like i can be like really natural and confident but then other times like i do really struggle with getting starstruck especially so if it's like someone that i look up to i get real weird i'm not gonna lie i get weird i get weird i'm like i'm just like don't say that like you've been listening to music for so long and then i say it and i'm like oh god i'm so sorry um so but um 
my favorite way to network, even though it's like it gets tiring sometimes too, because like you don't hear back or there's rejections, but there's also positive reactions too, is through email, because then you can like really, you know, you when you're doing it through email, you can be as businessy as you want. And it's like, well, it's an email, you know, but in person, yeah, I would say it's definitely been, but I, it's been like, it's hard. It's a hard thing to push through. And like, I definitely get nervous. I have my own social anxiety, surprisingly, even though I'm a very outgoing person and people tell me I'm a well-spoken person and on the inside, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm a weirdo. And so but I, I push myself to do it still a lot. Um, and yeah, the experience is just mixed bag. I mean, on top of it being like, cause I, you know, it's not just networking with like artists that I've looked up with too, but I also have to like, I do want to see like an agent or like I, there might be a promoter that like puts on regular shows that I have, that I want to try to like, you know, continue a relationship with. And I've definitely come across specifically like cisgender men who just are like are sleazy and just say things and do things that are just like ugh, or just treat you like clearly very different because I'm like a femme presenting fat queer person like um, even though I'm non-binary like I definitely experience misogyny still I want to ask a little bit about uh Fresno did you have you always lived in Fresno Yes, born and raised. Um, I really enjoyed the one time that I was there, which was when I met you. Mm -hmm. Um, I could totally see how a place like Fresno might be kind of, because this is my experience like in Phoenix, uh, where like there's almost like a inferiority complex against places like you know tucson or whatever that are a little bit more like hip or whatever and that Mm -hmm. arizona as a whole kind of has an inferiority inferiority complex to like california right and then like obviously like there's the really hip places in california and then there's fresno yeah and um which again isn't like a diss on fresno or anything but i'm kind of i'm kind of curious like how being there specifically has affected anything creative related art music whatever yeah i mean fresno is con is a constant butt of the joke like on comedy shows and stuff like that sometimes the punchline is like i'm from fresno um and so it's it definitely has that piece as well that like i I can definitely relate it to like, yeah, the Phoenix DIY scene and stuff like that, where it's like, oh yeah, I see this where you're like, it's very repressed, you know, it's repressed on a local scale. Our politics are rough. We have a a history of redlining. Like there's a lot of like severe, like racism and homophobia and misogyny here and class, severe classism. Um, And so on top of that, then it's like Fresno is the butt of the joke to California. We're like the armpit of California. We just, we don't match San Francisco or LA. Although we're a very large city, we have a very small town mindset. Like Fresno is a big place. I'm sure that we would, we, you know, we do actually get a lot of opportunities in LA and San Francisco now. Um, It took us some time to like build up rapport there but we just have played there a lot and honestly it's like 
something that I've been like more open about recently. It's actually been in our own Central Valley community where we have struggled to be seen and receive the accolades that we deserve. Um, you know, we've been playing bigger shows. We played Mosswood Meltdown this year and Great American Music Hall. And like we were in the LA Times in print on the day, you know, after the Super Bowl was won, underneath Snoop Dogg and Mary J. Blige at the front of the music section on Valentine's Day. So, <laughs> so we've been doing a lot of cool things in other cities that are cities that are like that are considered the cities that you want to make it in. But then in our own, you know, area, there are certain promoters still that really like do not see our worth or value um, that underpay us or offer us shows that aren't paid at all. Um, or just don't ask us to play shows that we would make sense on where it's just like, I've had it many times where I'm like, why weren't we asked to play this show? They know that we exist. I know this person. Why didn't he ask me to play the show versus this other band of a bunch of cis men again? Um, and it gets really frustrating. Um, and so that actually has been its own thing. I think so there, there's a very clear glass ceiling in, for us now in the Central Valley about how high you can go with some things. Um, and I think people you know, get their, they are, they're big fish in a little pond sometimes here. And so then it's like this weird hierarchy that is very clearly steeped in misogyny. And it's just like, so boring and just like, so not the thing. That's why we started Bruce Violet Collective, a collective where we were throwing shows for a while, where it centered like BIPOC and queer and women artists. Um, and we've always tried to like, when we book our shows, like the first choice is always going to be a band where there's like women or queers or BIPOC or young people of intersections of that in the band um, as much as we can. And so, yeah, I would say that has actually been a bigger issue than like playing outside of Fresno and how people perceive us because we're from Fresno. We're definitely still like little fish in a big pond in, in some places, but um it, in the Central Valley, we're just starting to get seen. And I will say there are some people recently who have reached out where I'm like, okay, you see us, you see what we're doing. Thank you. Thank you for offering a show that is like worthy, you know, that shows us our value when it comes to the timing that we play, who we're playing with and what we're getting paid. Um, so yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Is that, um, like being able to have that kind of impact in a place like Fresno is, has that been motivation for you to stay in Fresno? Um, honestly, the motivation for me to stay in Fresno right now is because I have so many cats and I run a, <laughs> a DIY cat sanctuary here. So that's honestly the motivation. Um, also just cause all the bandmates live in Fresno. It is hard to like relocate five people but there have been times when I've wanted to leave for sure. It's hard to be queer in Fresno. It's very isolating. Um, especially if you just really don't date cis men. It's, and I don't know. It's just also like, yeah, it's like Fresno can be very LGB just added the T, you know, <laughs> like it's still like catching up on queerness um, there's, I mean, there's some amazing queer spaces and some amazing people who do amazing things, not to discount them at all, but there's still like room for growth, um, 
in the community and in Fresno. And I definitely have thought about living in LA or living in San Francisco based on either career or personal needs. Um, but I stay here just because I really built some roots here. And then now that I've like built these roots, I'm like, okay, I've built these roots. Like, what can I do to help like create a safer space here, depending mm-hmm. on what that is. And I spend a lot of time at my home. So I'm kind of like revisiting the idea of like, I want my home to be a space that I feel safe in. And that people want to come to and feel safe in. I would like to have shows here someday and stuff like that. And it'd be something that, you know, younger people and older people could come to and and create and feel inspired by. So, yeah, it's mo- it's really like, I guess, in a sense, family, chosen family that keeps me here. It's the mm-hmm. band and my cats. And um, really- yeah, and I would imagine because the five of you seem like so close and that's another thing that I look back on. Uh, I, I mean, I definitely had like close friendships also with like certain bandmates, but then there was like other times where I like didn't really like get along. I mean, like didn't like not get along with them, but not in a way where we'd like hang out like outside of band practice or whatever. And that just being like kind of awkward. So I would imagine mm-hmm. it would be like hard to like recreate that unless you all decided to like communally, you know, move somewhere. Yeah, there's been conversation. I know some people want to build some earth ships, which would be like a community situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I definitely have had a fantasy. Like, I really want to win the lottery, which I know is the most dystopian dream ever. Like, the lottery is so fucked up, but I want to win it. So, Do you I play the lottery, win. like, every week? or uh, Not every week. It's, like, depending on the vibes. Like, if I'm vibing, I've gotten close. I've gotten, like, two or three numbers before. Okay. But, <laughs> but I'm like, okay, are the vibes right? I'm going to play. I, when I'm really depressed is when I play, honestly, because I'm just like, I'm depressed by capitalism. That's the ultimate thing. So I want out. Um, and it's so sad that the lottery is like the way out. Um, but I mean, one of the fantasies is, is like, yeah, I would win. And then I would share my winnings with my bandmates. And then we would all go live wherever we want to together and make music and not have to worry about labels or recording or tour fees or anything. Cause we could literally tour wherever we wanted um that is like my fantasy would be to have that do you play the same numbers each time or do you do like lucky numbers in particular Um, i i'll you know it's like anything else that i start just like the drawing journal i'll start it for a little bit and then i'll stop and i'll lose the numbers that i used but i do play the same numbers every time that is what i was told i honestly the first time i ever started playing it is when i worked at this tea shop that is now closed uh-huh. um, the owner was mean uh, so, but when i worked there like years ago in my early 20s um me and another barista there and the chef there like we all had a pact because it was the time it was like a really big powerball i think it was like 100 million or something and we each made a pact like if either of us won and we were all playing our own numbers but if any of us won we would each give the other people 10 million dollars and we would like do some petty financial shit to the shop like we were we had a real good plan going and that's when i got the three there was some vibes around that we had a very special pinky swear all three of us would do together we were real close um and the chef 
at the time, Stephen, who actually helped name my band. Um, he passed away, but he came up with the puff pastries part. Um, he, like, like you were fatty cakes, and then like he, yeah. like you already did. You already have the band, and then it was okay. just starting to add Stacy Crow and the Sheena as backup dancers. They were just going to be backup dancers, and mm -hmm. I was just going to call them the fatty cakes dancers. Like I really had no idea what I was going to do. And he was like, oh, they're like your puff pastries. And I was like, Steven, that is the name. You literally just came up with the name right now. So it's sweet because actually like a little part of him like lives on in the band. And he would come and see us sometimes. He's so sweet. Um, but yeah, he had told me like the best thing you can do. It, I don't know if it like changes the ratio or anything, but it's more so just the idea of like you keep playing the same numbers because if you switch numbers and then those old numbers win, you're going to like beat yourself up forever. Yeah, you'll so, never forgive yourself. Yeah, and I would yeah, imagine so like, have, yeah. especially, especially like playing every week or whatever or almost every yeah. week that like you you would, uh, yeah, you, yeah. You, you have to stay with us forever. Yeah, you do. And But I, I still, I mean, I think there are specific numbers that I use that are just like, lucky numbers or a moment in time and there's a guy like i watched an interview of a guy once who won the lottery and he just said it's like you're just vibing and he just was like yeah i just like i noticed a number on my subway line i noticed a number here and then i just like went and played those numbers and i won and so it's just like i mean i don't know how i feel my ideas on magic and spirituality have like fluctuated over the year and i don't know how i feel about a lot of things now but i was like you do know when the vibes are right. I have felt the vibes before and you get, you might even get a number or two and you're like, okay, the vibes were close. But by, by your opinions on those things changing, do you mean like you believe in it more or less, or is it just like ebbed and flowed? It's ebbed and flowed. I mean, I used to do a lot of like manifestation work and a lot of tarot card reading and a lot, and I'm not, a, and I'm still very into Zodiac stuff. Um, I just think it's fun and interesting and it helps like it's a guiding tool an introspective guiding tool. Um, the reason why I stopped though, like for me, at least with manifestation and tarot, which I'm not against, I still think it's very interesting. Um, I think because I'm someone with like an anxiety disorder, it like it, it put a lot more stress on me or like I would just get really into like asking the top cards over and over and over and looking for the answer that I wanted. Um, and then like with manifestation, I would put so much on the line about things. Like I would just be like, I will give up so much if I can receive this, please. And then if it didn't go a certain way, it was just like devastating. Um, and things would still happen and come up and interactions. Um, but it's like, I don't know. It just like, it was a lot of pressure on myself and on the things that I was putting that I was manifesting around that I just felt like was affecting me and affecting the way I reacted to people that I was like, this isn't healthy. I don't think I'm using this for a very like healthy purpose. And I think because of my anxiety, it's better for me to practice being present and in the moment and just like, once again, like just the good vibes. And that if I, I feel like if I'm just more in those moments when I'm anxious, I'm not actually being open to anything. And so if I'm just being present, then I feel like, and not trying to determine what the future is going to be, then those good things will come to me more so because I'm just in the moment. I'm not flipping out about the future or, you know, being worried about the past. I also had an experience in which I went and saw someone who is supposed to be a very revered person in the um, spiritual community 
and what she said did not happen. And so I was like, I need to take a break. <laughs> this is, <laughs> I just got scammed hella. And so, um, and um, she gave me some good advice and some stuff though. But um, there's just certain things where it's like, when people are like, this will happen on this date. And it's like, mm, I don't know if you can do that really. I don't know if anyone is that powerful or uses enough of their brain in that way. Um, but I'm not against people doing manifestation stuff if they if the intentions are right and the energy is right. I just know for me, it's really forced and not good for my mental health. Yeah, and it, it makes sense if you're doing stuff that, like, involves, like, fixation on, like, the future or the past that you might not yeah. just, like, you know, like, I'm always not necessarily in a spiritual sense, but I'm just always in my head about like one of those two things, as opposed to like, you know, what something, what somebody is saying to me. Yeah. Same. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's really hard for me to be present. I mean, I've had loved ones be like, yeah, you can tell when you're struggling because you're not paying attention and it doesn't, it's not rude. Like I know it's not rude. It's just like, clearly you are ruminating on something. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm trying to work on that more so versus like being so hung up on the future. Cause you just really never know what's going to happen. And it, it, it's just really devastating when the things that you're like begging the universe for don't happen in the way that you want. Well, this has been delightful. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for agreeing to uh, discuss these things with me today. Yeah. Thanks Jason. It was so nice to see you.